Uh, Nicholas, are you ready to ask your question from audio? Yeah. So my question is more about uh, the visual, because I have heard you, Tom, say many times that you have seen scary stuff and you have helped people that also seen scary stuff. And I just wonder how you can put the visual aside and just analytically or emotional detach from uh, the visual. And I'm asking more in terms of scary stuff. Okay, so I take it that you've experienced scary stuff and you want to know how to deal with it? Yeah, I want to know more calming stuff I can tell myself because I have tried stuff you recommend like giving a gift or just try to give them a hug or something like that. But the visual is kind of making me um, go for a run instead or go in like uh, fight and flight mode. Well, I'm just thinking of some things you could do. You could, uh, if you're in that state and you see something that's a little scary and you try to give him a hug, but it doesn't work because the visual is so scary, you end up running anyway. Yeah. Then, then there's two things to do. One is just you need more courage. Or two, you could do something like um, close your eyes. You could say, all right, I'll just close my eyes. There's that scary thing, and it looks like it's going to come and eat me. Let me just close my eyes and see if I get eaten. And now you don't have the visual anymore. Or you can make a metaphorical paper bag out there and put it over your head so that you can't see anything. And then just wait and see what happens. Do you feel the teeth crunching you, or do does nothing happen? And if you have the courage just to do that, and wait and see what happens. What's the experience? Then you will find that nothing really too horrible happens. These things are your own fear for the most part. Um, so it's just a matter of courage, Nicholas. You have to have the courage to stand up to your fear. And if the fear still makes you run away, well, then you need to work up some more courage to to do that. And maybe a way to do that is to do it slowly. You know, like people who are afraid of swimming they should not just go to a deep lake and you know jump overboard that's not the best way to learn how to swim that's probably a good way to learn how to drown so maybe you have the same thing maybe you need to um, try to uh, just get your toes wet and then get a little more used to the water in other words do your out of bodies um, maybe quickly get in get out before anything scary happens to where you're not quite so frightened anymore because you've gotten in and gotten out and nothing scary happened i don't know working up on it slowly or just coming up with the courage to just go do it but it's it's your own fear that you're finding there it's not something that's really going to hurt you you're here in a different reality that's some other reality what happens in that other reality is is only going to affect you in this reality through your fear. If there is no fear, then it's not going to affect you in this reality. If there is fear, then it can affect you in this reality. But it's only through your fear. Thank you. Thank you. Could I ask one more follow-up? Sure. 
because I like what you said that the fairies follow follow us through the waking process because sometimes if you see something very scary and you w- wake up uh, that fear is kind of bring you bring that fear into PMR and you can sometimes think about it for 15 20 minutes even after you're back in PMR uh, and I kind of know when you say it that it's just it's just a fear not something realistic but even that makes it more real that that fear uh, or what you feared is actually coming into the real world in in uh, in PMR. Yes, but it only comes in there, like I say, through your fear. If you don't have any fear, then you don't bring anything back that's scary. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, I also I also wake up every time that happens. So when yeah. you courage, it's just like more courage, and you will actually stand against that fear, and you won't wake up. Is that the outcome? Yeah. You will. You just stand against that fear and you'll say, well, all right, monster, you know, give it your best shot and just let it be however it is in that reality. And, uh, you know, in your own mind, you can say, well, I guess I'm going to have an experience of what it's like to be eaten. And if you're okay with that, that's an experience. Just have it. Just let it go. Let it happen. Have that experience. After all, you know, you're in this reality, and death in that reality basically means you leave that reality, and you're back in the one where your body is. So it's not that big a deal. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question from Corinna, and I'm going to read that because I don't see that she is here yet. Corinna was at the immersive in uh, at Lumley Castle, and she asks now, she's studying some telekinesis telepathy courses. She remembers some successes from the immersive at Lumley Castle, particularly with telekinesis. Lots of other things have been activated that stay with her, such as being a health issue intuitive. She's asking, um, now the telekinesis has escaped her. She feels that she can't do that right now. And she's asking, um, why do some things stay and not others? I'm trying to condense this a little bit. So why did the LCS take this power from me, this thing that she was able to do before? Um is she less in the zone, and can you get back into that zone? Could you give some steps for it? Um, there's a second part to that, but I, I will wait. Okay. Um, yes, I remember, I remember her at the um, at at, uh, at Lumley, and she was using her mind to make a little motor-driven car go where she wanted it to go, you know, without actually touching the controller. The controller was sitting on a desk, and she would make it go forward and backward and do different things with her intention. I remember that. And at that time, that was a new thing. She'd never experienced that before. And now she evidently played with it for a while afterwards, but now it's gone. And she's wondering, why is it gone? Well, 
<laughs> why was it given? I think that's the first question to ask. Why was it given? Well, it was given to help her see another dimensionality of her consciousness, of how the world worked, that telekinesis is a real thing. You can actually use your mind to, to change things in the physical world, manipulate things in the physical world. So she got that lesson and then incorporated that into her bigger picture And there probably just wasn't any reason to keep it. Maybe she was making more of that, or maybe she was um, um, having her, her ego got wrapped around it. I don't know. But, you know, the system giveth and the system taketh away. <laughs> it, uh, they gave her that just for her to experience it and open her mind. Her mind has been opened, and there's no point necessarily for it to stay around. So it's not like it was taken away from her because she's been a bad girl and, you know, that's a punishment. It just, it, it gave her what she needed at the time and isn't uh, productive anymore for whatever reason. It's no longer giving her new things that she needs. Whether her ego got attached to it or not, I don't know, but... Uh, in any case, it's no longer such a productive thing, so now it's gone. And other things may come and go. It's, it's like that. Um, when you're dealing with uh, consciousness and growing up, things come and things go all the time. Uh, life is not just a steady, you know, a, a steady trajectory. New things will come into it. Awarenesses will pop open, and then that subject kind of disappears later. It's just the way learning is. It's not smooth. It's, it comes in chunks. So tell her, I would tell her not to, uh, to worry about the fact that it's gone. That's not a bad sign for her. It's not telling her that she's necessarily somehow done something wrong, which the only thing I can think of she could have done wrong is got her ego wrapped around it. But so it's gone. That's okay. It's not important. Let those things come and go as they will. These psychic phenomena are not really that important. Don't get your life too wrapped around them. Don't make them too important part of your life. They're there. They help you understand reality, but they're not really that fundamentally important anyway. One more little note that she mentioned. Um, it was easier at the immersive because we were all day long focused only in that. And that, that does sort of the additive, the group, um, collective group like that does give an additive effect to these. Well, um, yes, it was, this was an intensive, you know, everybody mm -hmm. was spending, uh, you know, what, eight hours a day, you know, developing their, their intuitive side. So, that opens up a lot of things that ordinarily aren't open. So, of course, within a, an intensive uh, exploration of your intuitive side, one would expect all kinds of things to pop open, at least for a while. And she asks, uh, can we achieve it again in everyday life? And, of course, the answer is possibly. And what steps would she have to take in this particular case of telekinesis? Well. In order to 
to get it to return, she needs to put it on her path to growing up. If it's become irrelevant to her path of growing up or even a problem for her path for growing up, then it disappears. If it becomes actually relevant to her growing up, it'll come back. But if it's just a, another thing to do, um, you know, uh, kind of a just a skill to play with, and it's not really on her path to, to uh, lowering her entropy, then it'll disappear. So she wants it to come back, and she needs to configure herself such that that skill is going to be important to her personal growth. It's personal growth that's the point. Also, she is asking, what is the difference between a person in an out-of-body state being able to see their body and a person who can't? In other words, a person who might be parallel processing, which a lot of times happens. Uh, you, you're just aware of everything going on here, but you're seeing a little, a little movie over here. What is that? Is that just a, an individual trait? The only reason that people see their body lying in a bed when they go out of body is because they have a belief that they're going out of their body, and therefore the first thing they're going to notice is they're in their bedroom and they have their body lying there. So that's a belief. But you're not in your body, your consciousness. Your body's an avatar. It's computed. You've, you're always in your consciousness. So... You're not really getting out of your body. But if you believe that you are, then you see the body lying there because that's the data you're expecting. If I'm out of body, I would see my body lying in the bed because I just exuded somehow, popped out of that, that body, and that's what I'm going to see. That's what you see because that's what you expect to see. So that's what your intent creates for you to see. That's where your intent is to be. In other words, where you are out of body is an intention. I intend to be such and such a reality. There you are. Well, if what your intention is, is to be in your bedroom looking at your body, well, there you are. You're in your bedroom looking at your body. So that's why I mean when I said your expectation. If that's your intention to be there, then that's where your out of body is. Not a particularly, um, you know, um, <laughs> big learning opportunity to, you know, look down at your body maybe once or twice, but it's just because people believe that that's what they should see. So that's what their intention is to see. So that's where they go. It's just that simple, but you don't have to do that. You can go out of body and just be someplace else. Getting out of body has nothing to do with, with actually getting something inside your body to outside your body. That's a metaphor, but it's not an actuality. It's a matter of grabbing hold of a different data stream. And that data stream doesn't have to have anything at all to do with being in your bedroom. So it's, it's just a, it's an intention that we get because we believe that that's the way it needs to be. It's not fundamental at all. All right. The second part of her question, too, is uh, she, she received a lot of uh, healing for her heart symptoms at the at the immersive. That was one of the exercises in consciousness that we do. She would like some more healing on that. And she's wondering if she has thoughts 
she was symptom free for a while. And if she so wondering if she has thoughts that will these symptom will this symptom free state last? Um, and it comes back is that the thought that she is uh, uh, doubting that this uh, these symptoms will come back. Probably when you when you have this thought of oh I wonder if this I'm I've been symptom free I wonder if that's going to last or it's going to come back that's a fear that's a fear that perhaps it will come back and yes if you have a fear that perhaps it will come back then the probability of it coming back goes up of course okay well Karina we will all offer you some healing help and uh, put you back on the outpouring. So I hope you will be doing better again soon. This question from the forum is on Jefferson. Overcoming an irritation um, from chewing noises. Uh, he says, hi, everyone. Thanks for giving us this opportunity to ask. And sorry if I'm breaking any rule. As a new member, I'm still getting adapted. I'm Brazilian, and I had the chance to attend the MBT event in Brazil which was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I had the chance to ask Tom some amazing questions about nutrition and more than one free will awareness unit from the same IUOC living simultaneously. He answered each of my questions carefully, and I'm still delighted with how precise and caring he was. He makes sure every sentence is understood and doesn't mind spending minutes talking. Well, we know that. Um, <laughs> as long as your question <laughs> is fully answered, I particularly love it. Anyways, I didn't think it was appropriate at that moment to ask about it at the Sao Paulo event, but maybe here is a better channel to ask about this topic. And it's one of, been one of my biggest struggles in life. We don't know, uh, we're not aware of how many people struggle with various issues that seem, uh, you know, impossible. This is called misophonia. Since I was a child, as long as I can remember, I simply can't stand the noise of somebody chewing or speaking with an open mouth. It makes me crazy. I remember being four years old and covering my ears when sitting at the table with my cousins who used to make a lot of noise while eating. I would say, stop chewing like a cow, and my mother would give me a scolding for being disrespectful to them. So I grew up eating alone at the living room. Well, my whole family sat in the kitchen together. I can't go to restaurants either unless I'm wearing earphones. Nowadays, I live with my boyfriend who really understands me and tries not to make the noises that disturb me because he knows I just can't deal with them. But it's something I really would like to change in myself. And since I met Tom and his MBT, I've been trying even harder. I know that I'm not this body and that I can use my intent to turn off and turn on any noise in this reality. As Tom has said in many of his videos, but when it comes to chewing, the particular noise that triggers me, it just seems impossible. I really have been trying. This week at work we had a meeting and there was a cake and some snacks for us in order to celebrate the Teacher's Day. I was very grateful, but the moment my boss and colleagues started eating, I just wanted to disappear. I was about to create an excuse to leave, as always, but I forced myself to stay and face that fear. I focused on how much love I love those people, how grateful I was. Um, after all, the small party had been designed for us, and 
tried not to be angry at them, but it was so hard. I focused on other things, but they were speaking loudly with a full mouth in a way I could not ex uh, ignore. I was smiling on the outside, but on the inside I felt like crying. It was really horrible. I would just like to hear Tom's thought about this issue that affects me so much. And I just, just want to caution to Jefferson that um, this might be a counseling issue that, that you might have to pursue. But from a consciousness standpoint, Tom can give you some ideas on that. Well, Jefferson, um, you, with some practice, should be able to make that smaller and smaller and smaller of a of a problem it is your interpretation of that particular sound that grates on you so much uh, maybe you could find ways to reinterpret it in some other way um, but it's one of these things that you have a fear the fear, this noise, you know, bothers you. So you have this problem. And because it bothers you, you're particularly aware of it. And because you're particularly aware of it, it bothers you even more, which makes you even more aware of it. And then it bothers you even more. And it's one of those, um, you know, in, in uh, electrical engineering, they call it's a, it's, a, it's a forward feedback system or a positive feedback system that just keeps uh, driving you until you get the saturation, which is where you feel that you just can't stand it anymore. Okay. So you can also back that kind of self, um, you know, it's a process that just keeps enlarging itself and enlarging itself the more times it goes around the cycle. So you can unwind that just the same. Any process that, that, uh, We'll keep getting worse, and because it's worse, it gets worse, which makes it worse, and so on. You can back those up. So I would start with something that maybe you, uh, uh, I think you said your boyfriend understands you, and he tries to work with you. Get something that is that is marginal, something that uh, that he can do that just is standable, but uh, you don't really like it, and perhaps learn to. Let that go. Think of it in terms of chewing is what allows him to swallow the food, which is what allows him to live. If he didn't chew the food, he couldn't swallow it. And if he never swallowed it, he would die. So think of it as part of a process that gives life, a positive, necessary process. And think of it, and you hear that noise, think of it, that's life. That's life-giving process. We chew our food so that our body can digest it. And it's necessary. It's a good thing. Think of it in positive terms. Because if you think of it in negative terms, you will just amplify the negative effect. It's like uh, uh, somebody going to a dentist knowing that it's going to really, really hurt. And if you go in with that attitude, it will hurt ten times more than it would if you didn't go in with the attitude that it's really going to hurt. If you went in with the attitude that eh, it may hurt a little, but it's not going to be any big deal then the pain would be so much less. In other words, we create these problems in our mind because we believe that the problem is going to be there and that we're going to have this reaction to it. The dentist is going to cause pain and the pain will be horrible. This per these people are going to chew and I'm going to be able to hear it and it's going to be horrible. 
And just knowing that, having a belief of how horrible it's going to be, is a large part of what makes it horrible. So you need to work on this belief. You might even uh, uh, call it a, a phobia. You need to work on this belief that it's going to be horrible. And take something that's a very small thing. It's not really horrible, just maybe mildly annoying. And work on that to where it's you can stand it. It does, doesn't bother you. That you can let it go. You can be positive about it. Focus on the positive part. Focus on coexisting with it because it's a good and necessary thing. And once you, once you get that done, then have him do something with a little more noise to it and then see if you can add that to it and also not be so upset by it and so on. Just work your way very slowly out of this hole that you have gotten yourself in. Because now you have a very strong and firm belief that if you hear somebody chewing, it's going to freak you out and you're going to, you know, you're going to go crazy with it. And because that's such a strong belief, that happens. Okay. Now, however it is you ended up here, it probably, you don't remember it, but it probably was gradual. There's probably something that was said or done that caused it to where it was a bit of a nuisance and then it just kept building and building on itself. So see if you can't back it out just a little bit at a time, working with somebody who will work with you on it. Okay, thank you, Tom. Uh, next question from the MBT forum user, uh, Lanner. Hmm. Okay, I can't pronounce that one. We'll just call it Lanner. Uh, what is the best way to describe God in a more palatable way in MBT? I have a family member who is very hateful towards anything around spiritual or consciousness nature. I don't know why he was this way, but over time I learned he has suffered through some bad childhood experiences, like being strangled by a family member when he was one. Because of this and more depressing childhood moments, he has built a hateful look at anything spiritual or conscious, consciousness um, related and seems to hate God because a loving and caring God wouldn't allow such suffering experiences in children. What would be the best way to approach this in MBT that could show some positive light with a higher consciousness thinking on these experiences? Well, you know, he's starting with an assumption that if there was a loving and benevolent God, then everybody would be happy. Well, that starts with an assumption that God is this uh, supreme being that is basically tells his pet people what to think, what to feel, and what to do. Oh, no, don't do that. That isn't nice. That might cause somebody to be unhappy. So they would just automatically stop it. But that's not at all what people who are spiritual think about when they're thinking about God. It's not God playing with his pet people, making his pet people behave that isn't the way it works. That's probably a, a child's view of, of, uh, of God or Godness. That's not uh, a very grown-up attitude. So I would start with the idea that, you know, that uh, the idea of God doesn't have to be a supreme being that is, um, so we say, uh, supernormal. 
that in MBT, we just talk about reality. I, I avoid the God word in MBT almost exclusively. A couple of places I uh, might mention it, but uh, mostly I avoid that just because it comes so loaded with emotional stuff, just like this. Just like what he's describing. You know, it's a very emotional reaction to that word. It's not a rational reaction at all. And then in MBT, we just talk about the nature of reality. And that the nature of reality requires there to be a source. And that source in MBT is consciousness. And if you want to call that God, you can. But you don't really have to either. So I wouldn't try to force the word God on anybody who has an aversion to God for whatever reason that they have the aversion, I try to introduce an idea that of like the source, the, you know, the, the block, you know, who we are a chip off of, you know, this sort of thing, the connection and why, why there must be a source because nothing happens without a source. There has to be something that you start with and so on, and you can just work up a, a logical idea that uh, maybe will be easy to swallow. Just don't call it God. Now, it's not going to be magical. It's not, you know, if you if you do it that way, the logical way, the way MBT approaches the, you know, the reality, is it's that uh, it's the source is not supernormal. It's not infinite. It's not perfect. And it is not playing with its pet people, uh, making sure everybody does what they're supposed to. That's not the point. It's just source. We're a part of it, and it's all evolving, including the source is evolving, and it's all evolving together. So it's this thing that all evolves together, and he's a part of it. And with that said, it really doesn't matter whether he's willing to go there with source or not. It's much more important that he see that his point in life is to do as much good as possible. His point in life is to lower his entropy, is to be kind and caring to people. And if he gets that, if he doesn't get anything else, he'll have the 99% of it. That's what's important, is to get rid of that fear and ego and belief. Whether there's a God in that picture or not really doesn't matter so much. So if that's something that he has a... Uh, an irrational uh, reaction to, then I just leave it out of the story. Tell the important part of the story, which is about growing up and becoming love, and why that's a good idea. Right. Thank you, Tom. Next question is from Junis on evolutionary fears. I have a hard time linking evolutionary fears with the entropy of consciousness. For example, fear of darkness can be linked to the evolution of the avatar. In the night, humans were supposed to sit close to the fire to avoid being eaten by predators. Dangers of dark have become part of our instincts. Nowadays, an avatar can sit in a completely safe but dark living room and feel terrified. It seems to me that even if the consciousness is low entropy before incarnation, it will inherit entropy just by logging onto the game. Are getting rid of those evolutionary fears partially the reason why consciousness finds this rule set interesting for growing up. Okay. Well, first of all, it's not that you're lower entropy before you log on and then you gain entropy when you log on here. Dying does not make you become love. 
So you just are who you are in this life. You die and you still are at that same level. Dying doesn't give you a plus up and suddenly you become low entropy and all knowing and, uh, you know, become love and then you reincarnate and make choices for another body and suddenly you're, you're not so uh, evolved anymore. It doesn't work like that at all. There is no plus up for, for dying. Every time you pass go, you do not collect $200 just for passing go. You, uh, you have to earn every bit of your quality by making good choices. So you come here and you come in at a, at a quality level that's just what you've earned up to that point, And then you start interacting. And yes, we do have some fears that come from, uh, our instincts. So instinctual fears, uh, and those fears generally center around survival and procreation. So we have these fears and attitudes that are instincts, but we can be more than just our instincts. We can work with our instincts. And there are a lot of people who can sit in a totally dark room and not feel worried about it at all. So you can overcome those kinds of feelings. You can outgrow them. And you may have to outgrow them many times before the amount of instinct that you're carrying forward is, you know, has been reduced. But you can modify that sort of thing. Your mind can modify your biology. It can modify your DNA and the way that your DNA works. The way the programs that you have inside of you can be modified from your own, because of your own intent and what you do. So yes, overcoming those kinds of fears are part of what we're about. But that's just part of it. Mostly the fear that, that we have to overcome is not really instinctual fears. That's a very small part of it. Most of it has to do with the fear of ourselves being inadequate and the fear of ourselves being insecure and you know, that sort of basic fear is, is, is probably more noticeable and more problematic than fears that we get from our instincts. And sometimes the two are tied together. We take fears from our instincts and we, we combine those with other fears of our feeling small and inadequate. But in any case, uh, no, no free plus up for dying. And yes, we come here to lower our fears, all fears, including those that are instinctual. All right. Thank you, Tom. Um, another question from Signals uh, from the MIT Forum. They get creative with these names. As a consciousness existing in PMR, we use the dream reality frame as a learning tool. Do we also use the dream reality frame as a tool in other realities? For example, can we take a nap in the transition reality and have a dream? <laughs> um, well, yes, you are consciousness. And no matter what virtual reality you're in, you're still consciousness and you can still do all the things that consciousness can do. So you could be sitting in the transition reality and have an out-of-body experience and go do something else for a while. Yes. And you could uh, no doubt dream or daydream. Now, it wouldn't be the same as falling asleep because when you're 
in that transition reality, you're no longer a, a, a avatar in this virtual reality and sleep is no longer a thing you do and eat is no longer a thing you do, but you could quiet your mind, let everything go that, uh, you know, the data stream that you have defining your, the, the uh, transition reality, you could let that data stream go and you could grab hold of another data stream. You can out of body, you could, you could, you could call it dreaming. You know, all those things sort of become the same thing in that state. Uh, whether you call it dreaming or out of body, it would all be basically the same thing, just letting go of the dominant data stream and picking up a different data stream. Sure, you're still consciousness. You can still do everything consciousness does. All right, Tom, we have one more question. We'll end with this last question from Chickster from the MBT Forum. Here is a beginner question for those of you who are experienced. Maybe TC could chime in. My dad died in 1978. I assume that according to MBT, the free will awareness unit that was playing his character has jumped back into the game. By now, the new avatar is around 40 years old, assuming a normal life trajectory. If I ever become able to access other reality frames and by using intent, would it be possible within the rule set to locate this person, i.e. determine who he, she is and where at this time? This question can apply to anyone who has booked out a PMR, being that the new avatar is in this PMR. How would this work if it even can? Well, yes, it's possible. Um, no, there's not a whole lot you can do with it. Basically, what you, what's possible is you can get the information. So let's say your dad is now, you know, Susie Quang, and she's you know lives in rural China someplace, uh, you know, I don't know, doing whatever people do in rural China. And you find that out. Well, you can find that out just by going to the databases. You can ask that question. And you can get information. But what are you going to do with it? Pop in on Susie and say, hi, Susie, you used to be my dad. Well, that isn't going to work. Susie is, doesn't have any memories of your dad, and that would not be helpful to her at all. So that would be discouraged. The system isn't going to allow people popping in saying, oh, you're my great-great-grandmother, um, you know, three incarnations since. All of that would just be a nuisance without, you know, to, to those people who would be getting bombarded with things like that, which wouldn't make any sense to them whatsoever. In their new free will awareness unit, they wouldn't have any memories of any of it. So, so it's not really helped by the system, but it is possible to get the information. But then once you have the information, you really wouldn't want to take any action on it. You just want to go, oh, that's interesting. And that's about all you could do with it. If the system thought you were going to try to take action on it, it just may not give you the information. If the system thought you were just curious, it might give you the information. But then there really wouldn't be much to do about it. So, yes, possible. I have done that. I have traced people before just to see if it could be done. But I did realize afterwards that it was of little value because it really... It doesn't lead anywhere. It's, it's a blind, you know, it's a dead end, a blind alley. So no point, but can be done. 
Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you for uh, everyone who attended today and submitted questions. Uh, we appreciate it very much. I'm sorry that we didn't get to some of the MBT questions. We'll get to those next month and in December, and there are going to be some exciting ones, everything from black holes to Cheerios. I can't wait. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So long. Thanks, everybody. Bye.